the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in, and history. Host Joe Gaona covers topics like apologetics, worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how you live your Christian life. See how you can get involved in support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Joe, where is that magnifying glass? How are you doing today? This is Joe Giana with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. We're here to talk about intellectual arguments with worldviews and see where you stand as you weigh out your worldview on a scale of truth. We look at history, science, archaeology, and philosophy. We look at the world that we live, and does the reality make sense in the worldview that we're standing on as we weigh the worldview out? We've been talking about how the translation of the Bible got started, and where did it go as we move forward? We are now into 500 A.D., looking at what the church did. Where did Christianity go? Where was history during this time? So as we take a snapshot of 600 years of history, as we get to the great schism of the Roman Empire, the fall of the Western Roman Empire between the provinces and more and more armies were needed to hold down factions surrounding the Roman Empire, invading barbarians looking for weak links, generals positioning themselves as successors to the empire throne, and the internal struggle for power. We see that the Eastern Roman Emperor Leo I appointed Julius Nepos to be the emperor of the Western Roman Empire in 474 AD. He would be the last Roman emperor as the fall of the Roman Western Empire would come. Flavius Odasser. Odasser was a Germanic soldier in the Roman army who in 476 became the first king of Italy. Led by Odasser, he revolted against Imperator Augustulus of Rome and disposed him in 476. Emperor Nepos appoints a man by the name of Orestes to be his commander-in-chief. 
Now, Orestes had fought for both Attilia the Hun and for the Roman Empire. Yet the Senate of Rome were cautious and knew he was a good general, but his loyalty was always for himself, pretty much a mercenary. So, Odasser, he committed himself and his Roman army to Orestes, who in turn would give him lands of riches, right? Land was the thing you needed. Land and food is what kept you going. And so Odasser, and though he was a general, he knew that Nepos had taken Orestes to go to war for him as his commander-in-chief. And so he made allegiance with Orestes. Now, because Orestes was really just a mercenary, Orestes would come into Rome and take it over and pronounce himself emperor of Rome. So Orestes, as he declared his son, as he was about to die, declared his son, Romulus Augustulus, the new emperor of Rome. What happened after that is Odassar, the general, he came, and because Orestes never gave him the land that was committed to him, he pretty much just let it go, Orestes, the emperor of Rome. And so Adasser, he came in, disposed of his son, and he became emperor of Rome. During this time, we know that the barbarians, the Lombards, the Saxons, the Bulgars, we're all conquering territory and land throughout the Western Empire. 800 AD, Charlemagne reaches the height of his power when he was crowned Emperor of Rome by Pope Leo III on Christmas Day at Old St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Now what's significant about that? is that at that point, there was no emperor of Rome. And here, you know, Pope Leo III, he assumes this authority, and he crowns him as emperor of Rome. Now, what that did is it gave now the Pope more authority to crown who they insisted to be emperors, that it gave them this authority now. Not only do they have the ecclesiastic authority of the church and the arrangements around them throughout the Roman Empire in Constantinople. But now it's actually beginning to give him authority to pronounce people as emperor. Now Charlemagne, he was first king of the Franks from 771 to 814 A.D., as he was the king of the Franks, these were Germanic tribes in present-day Belgium, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands, and Western Germany. Now, he embarked on a mission to unite all Germanic people into one kingdom and to convert his subjects to Christianity. So soon after becoming king, he conquered the Lombards in northern Italy, the Avars, in modern-day Australia and Hungary. And Charlemagne had three decades he spent in bloody battles. That's 60 years. 
The, one of the last events was in 782 AD at the massacre of Verdun. Charlemagne ordered the slaughter of 4,500 Saxons, and he eventually forced the Saxons to convert to Christianity and declared that anyone who didn't get baptized or follow other Christian traditions would be put to death. Now, during this time, you need to remember that in 750 uh, A.D. to 816 A.D., the Bishop of Rome was Pope Leo III, and now he began to rule even the Papal States within his territory of Italy. Now, as Rome, Pope Leo III died in 780 A.D., there was no one to rule even Byzantine. In Constantinople, Emperor Leo IV, another Leo, not Pope Leo, but Emperor Leo of Byzantine, he happened to die at 780 AD. Well, his wife was Irene, and it gave a chance for the first time in the East Territory that Irene became the first empress and so we see now that there is a woman that is ruling Constantinople. You need to know that they never had a woman ruling. But here Irene was the first woman to be impressed. And she was actually waiting for her nine-year-old son, Constantine, uh, to rule as emperor. But as she began to rule, uh, we find that as his son as her son begin to grow up that there was two revolts that they tried to proclaim his, him as sole ruler and one of these revolts actually succeeded but we find in 1792 Irene wanted to establish herself as the imperial ruler of Constantinople and so in 797, Irene organized a conspiracy in which her supporters gouged out her son's eyes, maiming him severely. A lot was going on during these last 500 years before the end of the first millennia. Rome had fallen apart. Barbarians everywhere. There was trading there was raping, there was stealing, there was booty taken. Everything that was going on that you could think of imaginable and perverse was going on in Rome. Now, as we look at this time of 700-800 AD, we know earlier that there was this thing called iconoclism. The Western world of Rome... The Pope there didn't like icons. They said it was a travesty, that it was mocking the commandments of God to have icons within the church, within displays on buildings, to have statues, that it broke the commandments of God. Well, the East, the East Orthodox Church, which this is where we're getting at, to the great schism, right? of the church, 
um, they disagreed. They said, listen, we're, we're not using it to venerate it and worship it. We're using it as an expression of what we believe in. And so um, they actually said, no, we're not, we're not going to do that. We're going to keep our icons. And so we find that as Irene was, was the empress, she held the second council of Nicaea. And it's here that she held the council to restore the use and the veneration of icons. So as Rome was falling into pieces, we had something called the Holy Roman Empire. And this was in 962 AD to the 1800s, pretty much. Now, the Holy Roman Empire held power in Western and Central Europe. This Holy Roman Empire was an attempt to resurrect the Western Empire of Rome. So we had the Roman Empire from 27 BC to 476 AD, approximately. But then we had the Holy Roman Empire that came into existence long afterwards. And it had no official capital, but the emperors, usually a Germanic king, ruled from their homelands. And this was the Great Schism of 1054 AD, the split of the Western Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church. Now, the things they couldn't get agreement on was a mix of religious disagreements and political conflicts. Rome believed that the Pope, the religious leader of the Western Church, should have all authority, even authority, of the Eastern Patriarch Church. Constantinople disagreed that each church recognized their own leaders. Stay with us as we talk about the great schism that took place in 1054. Don't go away because there is much more to come with Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise. Throughout All Ages Ministry 1530 Apologetics goes into the public high school to build up the student's character to intellectually think about their worldview and weigh it with truth. Studies show 75 to 85% of all college students who grew up in a Christian home are walking away from their faith. For more information about 1530 Apologetics, go to throughoutallages.com. Welcome back to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. And now, here's your host, Joe Gaona on K-Praise. So glad to have you back on the second half as we talk about where the world was in the Roman Empire, how the Bible got translated, and we're trying to get to the time of John Wycliffe. When the Western Church excommunicated Michael Surilarius, and the entire Eastern Church, the Eastern Church retaliated back by excommunicating the Roman Pope Leo III at the Roman Church. What were some of the disagreements they had? Well, they had the iconoclasmen, right? Or this was the council that summoned that these icons would not take place in 754 A.D., now, of course, the eastern side disagreed. And so this became 
one of the stress points of over four or five hundred years that caused this great schism that took place. There are some other things that happened. Uh, For one, the Western Church, the Rome Western Church, used unleavened bread when they did the Eucharist, where the East Orthodox Church, they would use leavened bread. Then you had celibacy, whereas the West Church of Rome held celibacy for their priests and their bishops. Well, the East disagreed that the priests could be with a wife or without a wife. Now, usually when it came to politics and things of religion, you had five main body figures of the church. And this was um, Rome, Constantinople, Alexandria, Antioch, and Jerusalem. But here we find that the Western church, the Pope there, wanted more and more to say that they had final authority that came down from Peter. So as the wars took place and the emperors gave the Pope more civil power, he in turn believed that he had the last word for the West and the East Church. And then you had the Philoque. The Philoque was the creed of Nicaea. So the creed always read, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father. But the Western Church because they had so much conflict with heretics and heresies coming about that Jesus Christ was a created being, they wanted to add the philoque there, which says, and the Son. So instead of reading, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, they wanted it to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, and the Son. Well, the Eastern Church, the Eastern Orthodox Greek Church said, no, we don't want the creed to change. And there was much contention with Western and Eastern Church for over 500 years. In 1054, the Great Schism happened as Pope Leo IX excommunicated the Patriarch Michael Solarius of Constantinople who in turn excommunicated him. So now you had two churches that excommunicated each one. The Greek churches in Italy were forced to confirm to Latin practices. And if any of them did not, they were forced to close. But in retaliation to this, the ecumenical patriarch of Constantinople, Michael, ordered the closure of all Latin churches in Constantinople. So in 1054, the papal had an emissary come to legate, sent by Leo IX, traveled to Constantinople for purposes that include refusing Michael Surelarius the title of ecumenical patriarch and insisting that he recognizes the Pope's claim to be the head of all the churches. Now, this conflict led to the exchange of excommunication by both sides, the Roman Empire, Western, and the Eastern Orthodox Greek Church. It wasn't until 1965. So, while the two churches never reunited over a thousand years of split, 
the Western and the Eastern branches of Christianity came to more peaceable terms in 1965 as Pope Paul VI and the Patriarch Anthonagoros lifted the long-standing mutual excommunication decrees made by their respective churches. So that was the Great Schism of 1054 AD. As we get to Wycliffe, Wycliffe was born in 1330 A.D. So the Great Schism happened in 1058 A.D. So God's been raising up a man who was born in the hinterlands on a sheep farm 200 miles from London. John Wycliffe, he left for Oxford University in 1346. Now something about John Wycliffe is that he had to deal periodically with eruptions of the Black Death, the bubonic plague that would hit his area that he lived in. Now, he didn't earn his doctorate until 1372 A.D. By 1374, he became a rector, a parish admin of some sort, in Lutterworth by England. But a year later, he was disappointed to learn that he would not be granted a position at Lincoln nor the bishopric of Worcester. The Bishop of Worcester is the head of the Church of England, the diocese. A diocese is a bishopric in the ecclesiastic district under the jurisdiction of the bishop. We find that Wycliffe wanted to get the English Bible to the English-speaking people of his time. John Wycliffe disagreed about was indulgence. The self-indulgence by pardoners was a widespread abuse during the later Middle Ages. So what would happen is, if you wanted to buy indulgence, you would give them money, and you would get a piece of paper that stated that you could enter into heaven, and that you insured a spot in heaven if they bought that paper. And these papers were called indulgences. And, and John Wycliffe is saying, no, that's not right. He didn't believe in private confession. He said it wasn't ordered by Jesus or the apostles. And he said that all Christians should rely on the Bible rather than on the teachings of the popes. He argued that the church was already too wealthy and that Christ called his disciples to poverty, not wealth. He went on to say, if anyone should keep such taxes, it should be local English authorities. Now, the English authorities liked that statement. John Wycliffe was well known throughout Europe for his opposition to the teaching of the organized church, the Catholic Church, which he believed to be contrary to the Bible. As John Wycliffe began to teach, it began to spread throughout all Europe and England. Wycliffe had been called the morning star of Reformation. The Protestant Reformation was about one thing, getting the Word of God back into the hands of the masses in their own native language. And John Wycliffe knew that if you can get it into the hands of the people and they could read the Bible themselves that this would expose the message that the church was trying to give and how corrupt 
they really were. So by 1380 AD, the first handwritten English language Bible were produced by John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe would uh, produce dozens of English language manuscripts and he used the Latin Vulgate to translate it into English. While John Wycliffe was promoting a stance against Catholicism, or should I say, really, the Catholic Church, the universal church of that time, he began to have this group called the Lollards. And as John Wycliffe would go out and just preach to people, wherever he was at, he would preach the English Bible to people and he started getting it into the hands of the people well of course that made the Pope extremely upset we find that Pope Gregory the 11 issued five bulls church edicts against Wycliffe and he was accused of 18 counts of what was called the master of heirs Wycliffe replied at a hearing before the Archbishop of Lambeth Palace, I am ready to defend my convictions even unto death. I have followed the sacred scriptures and the holy doctors. He went on to say that the Pope and the Church were second in authority to the scriptures. We're told that in history, because of all the things that were uprising, within England and within Rome, that they didn't have time to take John Wycliffe uh, to court to burn him at the stake. And so he ended up dying a natural death. This is where we get the Lollards. The Lollards were a group of people, a faction, who believed in what Wycliffe, John Wycliffe, was saying. And they would go out and preach to the people. They would go out and tell them that what the Pope and the Catholic Church is doing isn't right. And the Lollards would find themselves living underground as the Pope would want to find them and burn them at the stake. Well, we know that in 1384, Wycliffe finally dies. And as he dies, we find 44 years later, the Pope was so infuriated by his teaching and his translation of the Bible, that 44 years after his death, the officials dug up his body, burned his remains, and threw the ashes into the Swift River. It was the Council of Constance declared Wycliffe a heretic on May 4, 1415, banned his writings, effectively both excommunicating him retroactively. And the council declared that Wycliffe's work should be burned and his bodily remains removed from the consecrated ground. And this order confirmed by Pope Martin V was carried out in 1428. Thank you for being a part of this. This is Joe with 1530 Apologetics. And we'll talk more about John Haas next week. That's a take, and this has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host, Joe Gaona, how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. 
1530 Apologetics is vigorously setting the pace to give easy answers to hard questions in the culture we live in. So be sure to join Joe at this same time next week for more biblical principles to help you intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, the reality we live in, and history. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics on K-Praise.